Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Take it, shoot that, shoot that. Oh, going in the middle. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com, and folks, we are definitely experiencing something special right now. I don't know how long this is all going to last, but these last two games, I've been just mesmerized by the talent wearing Brooklyn Nets uniforms. Two games with James Harden and Kevin Durant sharing the court, Without Kyrie Irving, mind you. And I'm telling you, I'm sold. I'm sorry if you're looking to me for some negativity today. You know, I've got very little there other than some immaterial stuff at the margins. You know, not even the obtuse Kyrie Irving media session from Tuesday can bring me down. So for today's show, I'll be spreading a lot of love. And to help me with that, I'll have back. The podcast's returning champion, my good friend Anthony Puccio, will be joining me in a little bit. For those of you who don't know Anthony, he was a longtime writer at NetsDaily.com, and he's now started his own site called TheAssociation.com. Anthony was really the first to report that the Nets and the Rockets had an oral agreement on a hardened trade back in the offseason, so I'll be asking him about that and if he has an inkling as to what's next. And I'll also be taking on your questions from Twitter for a new listener mailbag installment. So sit back and relax, and it's okay to smile. And we have a good show for you today. Thanks for tuning in on Radio.com, Stitcher, and yes, we're back on Apple Podcasts. So sorry for the delay there, but you know, the station finally figured it out. So I'm hoping that's helpful for some of you. Anyway, let's start out by describing the many ways why any of you who thought that trading Harden and the steep price it cost were wrong. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping there were protections on some of the later picks surrendered and that maybe Sean Marks could have added P.J. Tucker to the deal. But, you know, it's consistent from the beginning of the season that if you were going to deplete the asset tank, there was no bigger fish to catch than Harden. Just look at what he did in the last two-plus minutes of Monday's classic win over Milwaukee on national TV. 
You know, Nets down three. He sets up DeAndre Jordan for an alley-oop. Next possession, grabs a rebound, dribbles up court, drives into the mid-paint area for one of his patented floaters. A minute later, Nets again down two. You know, he catches the Bucks paying too much attention to him, and you know, with the help of a Jordan screen, sets up Joe Harris for an uncontested three-pointer. And then finally, you know, after Chris Middleton puts Milwaukee back up by one, he follows up his own missed three-pointer, and then he finds KD for the game-winning three-ball. Again, you know, Harden does so many important things to help his team win games down the stretch. He scores at every level, draws a ton of fouls to get to the free-throw line. His vision and passing give his teammates great looks, and he even contributes on the defensive end in you know some of these big moments. Plus, you know he may look out of shape, but this guy played over forty minutes in each of those first two games as a net, and he's been fairly durable over the years when it comes to injuries. You know, knock on wood, of course. And Harden's synergy with Durant has been seamless. You know, aside from you know an early turnover bug. You know, I guess that should have been expected. I mean, Tuesday was Harden's first practice. And all practices, at least for the Nets, have to be pretty light, given the NBA's condensed schedule. So, you know, I was just looking at things like, you know, whether either monopolize the ball, things like that. And I, I don't know. They both seem to be willing playmakers to me. I think I noticed KD holding the ball a little longer than usual. You know, Harden seemed to me to go quicker than he did when he was with Houston, though I guess the tracking stats on NBA.com don't match my eyes. Now, of course, the elephant in the room is going to be Kyrie. You know, how is Steve Nash going to integrate three facilitators on the court at the same time? Especially a guy like Irving, who may still be feeling the effects of a seven-game layoff for personal reasons. You know, from what I saw on the net Zoom call earlier today, you know, I can't say for sure that everything's copacetic on that front either. You know, Irving had like his chin resting on folded arms like he was trying to get through a tongue lashing, even though he was doing most of the talking. And what he was saying wasn't all that enlightening, you know, when it came to the reasons for his absence. You know, obviously stuff happening in this country affects him deeply, but he kind of sidestepped the questions related to his mental health. You know, look, we all hope he's okay, not just because he's a Brooklyn Net, but because he's a human being who cares about societal ills deeply. And, you know, it's considered acceptable these days if anyone feels the need to talk about it in public. You know, many pro athletes have done that. Obviously, though, it's their choice. You know, when Christian Winfield of the Daily News asked him if he was okay physically and mentally, Irving just nodded. And Winfield then tweeted that he didn't think it was a convincing nod. So who's to say where his head is at, you know? But what we did learn was that Nash expects Irving back in the lineup Wednesday night in Cleveland for the first of a two-game set. And this is where the fun should begin. You know, scary hours, as Harden said. Or was it KD? I can't remember. Anyway, the big question is how Kyrie's minutes will be managed. We don't know that right now. I'm sure it'll come up in the pregame Zoom meeting with the media. Uh, Nash will have later tonight before the Cleveland game. I will say that it's going to be hard for Nash to screw up a stagger scheme with three superstars. So I'm not going to fret about it just yet. 
Safe to say someone's going to have to come out at around the six-minute mark to make sure Brooklyn isn't stuck with Landry Shamit or someone running the show. But, you know, to be fair, Nash has been avoiding that scenario pretty much throughout this four-game win streak. But a lot of that is because he's been running up Katie's minutes. Remember, this guy's coming off Achilles surgery. You don't want to put wear and tear on other body parts this early in the season. So I got more to say about Kyrie, but I'm going to save that for when I speak to Anthony Puccio in a moment. But first, before that, I want to give another shout-out to a player who's becoming one of my favorites, and that's Bruce Brown. Man, that guy played Monday night's game like it was the biggest game he's ever played. I mean, he was everywhere, defending through screens, grabbing rebounds, tying balls up. I keep telling you folks, you need those plays in the postseason. You know, watch the Miami Heat play. Unfortunately, you know, Irving's presence will come at others' expense. And Brown, considering his size, he'll likely be one of those guys. You know, we're going to have to see if Nash cuts Shamit's minutes first. You know, I'm not so sure, especially since swapping Shamit for Tyler Johnson should have been a no-brainer. And Nash still went with Shamit versus Milwaukee. Anyway, you know, I think what Brown does has a lot of value especially when this team has few others that do it. So, in further appreciation, I give you net center DeAndre Jordan on Brown's contributions to the win over the Bucks. Hi, DeAndre. Uh, can you just describe the impact that Bruce Brown has when he gets on the floor, and does the team feed off his intensity? Bruce is a dog. He's a pest. I'm glad. I'm glad that he's with us. Um, you know, he picks up 94 feet up, up the court. He's a he's a hell of a defender. He's extremely tough, strong, and uh, you know he keeps a lot of plays alive. Um, a lot of offensive rebounds. He's in there battling with bigs and uh, getting offensive rebounds, putbacks, picking up guys, uh, guarding multiple positions. Uh, so he's going to be a player that we're really going to need down the stretch. I'm happy that he's here. Again, that was net center DeAndre Jordan who logged 38 minutes the other night, matched up mostly against Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, I think I was proven right when I said earlier in the year that, you know, he wasn't exactly, quote, washed up. It was more likely a case of him putting forth what I called selective efforts, you know, in the first dozen games or so. You know, not that he's the same guy as when he was younger, but, you know, all that really means is that you can really tell the difference when he's not giving it his all. And the other night, though, he played a really smart game, setting good screens and communicating on defense. And I saw a stat that said Giannis averaged 0.7 points per possession on his drives when Jordan was the primary defender. I mean, you try getting in that guy's way when he's going downhill on you. And that was just a superb job by DJ there. You know, again, the most important thing to me was effort. And, you know, when Jared Allen was around, he just wasn't giving it consistently. And he didn't deserve to start. Maybe now he's feeling some peer pressure, you know, from watching Harden and KD go at the Bucks hard. And I can't really say. You know, overall, I'm not going to go overboard and call that Milwaukee game a statement win. Too much of a season to go. It had great intensity, but, you know, still the regular season game. Still, I'm not going to lie to you folks. I've been smiling a lot this past week watching this team play. Because it sure feels good knowing the Nets can match up with anybody in the NBA right now. And I'm sure my special guest this week feels the same way. 
but let's ask him anyway. Here's my conversation with the creator of the association.com. It's a daily newsletter on all things NBA. My good friend, Anthony Puccio. Folks, I'm so grateful to have this special guest back on the podcast. You all know him as the longtime writer for NetsDaily.com, but he's now moved on to something even more exciting, creating his own brand called The Association, a daily newsletter that covers all things NBA. So welcome back, my good friend, Anthony Puccio. Anthony, thanks so much for giving me some time today. Steve, you are the man. It's great to be back on. And as always, thank you for having me. So, Anthony, as I teased before you came on, you know, you've always been so money when it comes to breaking big Nets news. Latest, you know, earlier in the offseason when you reported on the verbal agreement between Brooklyn and Houston and, you know, about James Harden. You know, it took a little while for the deal to get done. But now that it is, how are you looking at this trade as a Nets fan first? When you look at it as a fan, I mean, you know, you look at Nets Twitter alone, there was at first this bittersweet feeling, right, Steve? Like that that emotional connection to the guys that they had traded. And I think that was the first thought. It was not who they were receiving, but who they were trading. And you lose Actually, a guy like Karis LeVert. Not me. I was I was more uh, worried about the lack of protections on the later picks. <laughs> I thought well, well, there's that too. Yeah, I thought it said a that. lot that Houston did not keep anybody that the Nets traded other than Rody. I mean, and they just kept him as a cheap guy, you know, but they, they didn't want Levert. They didn't want Allen. They didn't want Torian Prince. Uh, We, we probably as fans have a tendency to overrate our own players, but go on. Yeah, no. And and then really that's, that's, that's a good point. I think there was that, that uh, the scarring from the Boston Celtics trade and having given up all those picks, that idea, uh, the emotional connection to Karis Levert and Jared Allen, guys that the Nets drafted and, and, you know, brought up as their poster boys and things like that. And, and again, the emotional connection. But then you watch James Harden play with Kevin Durant. <laughs> and then suddenly, and this is no disrespect to any of those guys that are on the way out, but then you realize, okay, now these guys are championship contenders. Now, now, now you understand why it was – and again, it can have its future repercussions. If it doesn't work out, it's championship or bust. But you're looking at James Harden, Kevin Durant, and now Kyrie Irving. You know, they play a Bucks team last night, and, and they outplayed them for most of the night. They almost lost that game in the last couple of minutes, but they, they outplayed them. James Harden hasn't even practiced yet, and him and KD are dropping historical numbers together. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine what this team's going to look like with Kyrie Irving. It was just a funny thing around the Nets world that, that emotional connection that you do have to these players and the fan base did kind of grow with them. So I, I understood where they were coming from. But again, once you see James Harden in the black and white and him playing with Kevin Durant on the Brooklyn Nets court, it's, it's, it's almost like a surreal feeling. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're going to go all in, you want to go in on a guy who could be a league MVP, but if, you know, we're, we're recording this before the Nets take on the Cavs and what is expected to be Kyrie Irving's return. Uh, he's, Obviously, you, yeah, we, we know. I know you heard his media session earlier today. So, before I ask you about that, let's start with stuff on the court. You know, so what's your view as to how this, you know, how he, when he re enters the lineup, how does that impact the basketball construct? You know, his offensive skill set is obvious, but can this also be a case of subtraction by addition? You know, given how well they're humming without him. 
you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, maybe not enough bus boys like Jeff Green and Bruce Brown. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, Steve, and, and when the playoffs do come, you're going to have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden on one team. But there is that that concern that even just watching these past two games, the rhythm that Kevin Durant and James Harden do have, and, and the other guys that are stepping up around them, the bus boys that you mentioned, like the Jeff Greens of the world, Bruce Browns of the world, uh, you you do worry about the 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 rhythm that they've developed in such a short amount of time being disrupted because you have a guy like James Harden who KD even said himself he's a point guard you know he he's he's he needs the ball in his hands but it feels like Kyrie does too and and you don't need me to tell you that I know and I understand the numbers in Cleveland when he played off the ball were very very good but Kyrie Irving is now stepping into a role that he's never stepped into before in his career. He's Ringo Starr of the bunch. You know, he's no longer the Robin to, to KD's Batman. That, that's James Harden. So there's that concern about ego superstars and, and who's going to handle the rock more. You know, are they going to just dribble out the clock and go completely ISO? Um, but there's also that mental aspect of things, right, Steve? You know, Kyrie has obviously been dealing with some stuff. He's been away from the team for a couple of weeks. Um he didn't look all too happy today. It seemed like a very melancholy interview. Uh, so I, from my perspective, I think it's going to be one of those things where Kevin Durant has bought in. James Harden has bought in. Now it's a matter of incorporating Kyrie Irving back into the mix and not only getting him to buy into the championship aspirations that they do have, but also uh, being his biggest fan, like like encouraging him, you know, trying to get him, like I said, mentally fit to work and fit into what they're buying into. So uh, I think it goes so much, uh, so much more beyond just the X's and O's because they have the talent, they have the talent to win a championship, but they, uh, they need to get him on the same page as them and make sure that there are no clashing and ego superstars attitudes, anything like that. Again, they have to be his biggest fan. And I think that's what you're going to see. They're going to try, they're going to try him and incorporate him right back into the workspace that they're, uh, that they're in. Now, Marx is going to deny this till the cows come home, but do you think the Harden trade, do you see it as Kyrie insurance, you know, in, in case that, you know, whatever is ailing him and uh, that whatever, you know, he never even said what caused him to uh, take a leave of absence. But if that continues now that they have Harden, they can still contend. Did you see Marx feeling pressure I mean, anything that you've reported to to justify that kind of uh, take? I haven't heard anything directly based on the fact that, you know, that they made the trade as insurance. But I think, you know, it's common sense. You know, Kevin Durant came here to Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving was the main catalyst in all of that. And not, not this isn't the first time, you know, Steve, you remember you were with me in the media room. Kyrie Irving went missing for eight weeks and it was a, it was a very mysterious shoulder injury that he just completely disappeared. Didn't talk to anybody this, this time around, he was a personal leave. And it's one of those things where if you're Kevin Durant, you have to be saying to Sean Marks or whoever it is, if we have the chance to go get James Harden, now you have to go get him. So things had started building up in the off season. And that's when I had my report and there was, there were plenty of sources, plenty of people very, very close to the situation that, that said verbal agreement, that it was basically a done deal. And then Houston postured. They wanted to wait, and they wanted to get more out of Brooklyn. So Houston was never desperate 
But then the Nets became desperate because Kyrie Irving went missing, and suddenly they did not look like a championship-caliber team. You know, you like the guys like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and all them, but they're not a championship team without Kyrie Irving or somebody like James Harden's caliber alongside KD. So uh, I think absolutely you look at the timing of the trade, there's, there's a reason why the Brooklyn Nets anteed up. Well, I read your newsletter religiously, the association.com. And, you know, I didn't, I'm trying to get some kind of semblance of if you have any insight as to why he took the leave of absence. I mean, so what did you make of the whole, you know, his whole pained media session and, you know, what, what made him leave? What made, what brought him back? Do you have any insight as to, you know, what triggered all this? You know, when, when I had spoken to people on, on Kyrie's side, and I, I don't want to speak on his behalf because it feels like a lot of things are happening at once with his life. And, um, you know, but, but the one thing I had gotten was that the Capitol Hill incident made him very upset and, and uh, kind of just it set him down a, down a path. He fell down a hole. And, uh, you know, I, I watched today and I, I listened to what he had to say and he sort of alluded to those types of things talking about what's going on in the country and he did mention mental health um so i i believe that you know a lot of a lot of moving parts at once uh and separating the player and the human being i think Kyrie, yeah he fell down a bit of a hole and and he needed time off but then that video circulated and again, the Nets didn't say anything for the first week or two when it was a personal leave. It was just a very, very simple, stoic answer. But then when that video circulated, you know, ownership and, and the Nets, they, they had enough. And, and they told them that they were fed up. And it was basically one of those things where you, you better report soon, you know, because uh, if you, whatever, whatever it is that you're battling, uh, you were okay enough to go and party with your family and do whatever you had to do without a mask and violate protocols. And now we're the laughing stock of the NBA. So it was one of those things where you, you, you got to get back here as soon as possible. You have, to, you have to report to work. And that message was sent loud and clear. Now hearing him in his interview today, uh, it almost, it almost, there weren't necessarily direct answers, but uh, he kind of alluded to a lot of those things that I just mentioned. Um, and, and in a sense, for me, just as a person, you know, I, I kind of felt for Kyrie Irving because he, he looked very upset. He looked like somebody that has been going through it, Steve. So uh, I hope the best for him. And I don't like to speak on behalf of anybody. But when I, when I say my sources, they're coming from Kyrie's side. And, and with the Nets, they're coming from the Nets' side. So, you know, that's about the best I could give you. Yeah, well, that's why I love to talk to you. You know, Anthony Puccio, creator of Association.com. So let's get back to basketball. Well, that's more fun. So, you know, even even Sean Marks acknowledged that this isn't a finished product. Are you hearing anything about, you know, where Brooklyn goes from here to whether to fill the three open roster spots, whether it's, you know, through using a second round pick in a trade, a potential buyout target, or, you know, just a guy off the street? I, I think... I, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about them making a trade or anything like that. And Steve, they, they don't have any draft picks to trade. And they could trade it too. They could trade it too, right? They could trade the second. They could trade a second round pick, sure. And yeah, and the, I mean, look, with a team like this, it's what you said before. Maybe you need more bus boys, right? So, I think 
I think the Nets are definitely targeting a wing, a wing defender. And I think they're targeting a big man because DeAndre Jordan, he's looked good with KD and Harden since, since those two are in the fold and since the trade happened. He's having things kind of falling into his laps. It's everything comes easier when you have KD and and, and Harden in the lineup, but uh, you you don't have a big man backing him up right now. Nicholas Claxton is out until February, and you don't want to put all your stakes into you know a 21 year old kid who's only played what you know eight NBA games so far. And I think he has tremendous talent, tremendous potential, but we don't know yet. We don't we we haven't seen enough of him yet. So. I think they're definitely going to be looking at a big man. I think they absolutely have to because, you know, Reggie Perry can't be your backup big or Jeff Green can't be depended on to play the five all times. Kevin Durant cannot be depended on to play the five at all times, especially coming off an Achilles surgery. Yeah, he doesn't look like he can off an Achilles surgery. But you mentioned DeAndre Jordan and, you know, James Harden, you know, said that he's, you know, felt rejuvenated from the trade. Looked like that trade rejuvenated DeAndre Jordan. So, I mean, I always joke that his, you know, about his so-called selective, selective efforts. I mean, you think this is the DeAndre Jordan that can be counted on in a, you know, in a big series? I mean, there was, I saw a stat Giannis when he was driving on DeAndre averaged like 0.7 points per possession. So, you know, that, that's something that has value. Is that a good stat or a bad stat, Steve? That's a very good. You're getting a little. I was I was gonna say I thought DeAndre covered him pretty well last night. Like he made he forced him to turn his back a couple times. DeAndre was getting physical yesterday. He was swiping down at the ball. I mean he picked up a lot of fouls, but uh, that's what he needs to do. He need, he needs to be that physical big, and he just needs to be ready for those alley oops when they come. You know, set a hard screen, rebound the basketball, try and get some tap outs. You know, his his job again is a lot easier now, and and and. Yeah, it's easier with KD and Harden in the lineup. It's, everybody's job becomes a lot easier with those two in the lineup. But also, we knew that he had this – it was it wasn't a beef between him and Jared Allen, and everybody kind of interpreted it that way when when I had uh, reported that. It was it was never a beef. It was just that he was upset. He, he did not want to back up Jared Allen. So now he has that off his plate. He doesn't have to worry about being a backup. He could, he could be the starter. He could play with his guys. Um uh, I don't know if it would be called selective effort. I, I I mean, I guess you could say that, but I think the game is just going to come a lot easier for him now with these guys in the lineup and just him not having to worry about his, his position or, or his playing time. Because when Jared started playing good in the last couple of games during his Nets tenure, you know, DeAndre, I think, I think he even played, you know, one night. He didn't play at all. So, you know, I think I think he can be counted on. I think I think he's in a good position to thrive with these guys, but he's not a thirty-two minute a game center on on a championship team. Yeah, well, he played thirty-eight last night. So, Anthony, I got a couple of more for you for if you don't mind. Um, it's a little bit early, but you know, what's your evaluation of Steve Nash? I mean, do you think entrusting a team with all this talent to a rookie coach, you know, is that too risky? Uh, it's it's definitely risky, and we saw it in 2013. Uh, different circumstances, this team is a lot better than that team, but um, it's it's risky. You 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 had a head coach in Kenny Atkinson who was who was very good. He did what he had to do based off merit. You got rid of him. You had a guy like Jacques Vaughn who led them to a seven and three record into the bubble, into the playoffs, and and you know you didn't promote him to head coach, so you bring in Steve Nash. And uh, watching the Nets right now and and seeing Steve Nash as a coach. Um, 
look, their offensive philosophy is, is basically the same as Kenny's. It's the same as Mike D'Antoni's in Houston. Their defense is still very bad. And my biggest thing with, with Steve Nash was that early in the season, he wasn't playing guys like Bruce Brown, who he is now. He wasn't playing these gritty guys that, that you absolutely need out there and you need to surround stars with. But the main thing with him is that he doesn't call timeouts. <laughs> Even last night, he just does not call time. You know, I, I looked at the TV last night, Steve. It was there was five forty one remaining on the clock. I was watching the game with my dad. I said, "What team has four timeouts with five minutes left in a game?" And yeah. the Bucks still had two. Uh, you you lose every you know every all but two at the two minute warning. I think at at two minutes to go, you don't, you only have two left in the last two minutes. So. It right. uh, you know he goes he goes home every night with a bunch of timeouts that he's you know, that, in his back pocket that 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 in a metro card gets you on the subway back to Dumbo. <laughs> he's already got a free metro card. He's the voice of uh, putting a mask on over in the metro <laughs> in the LIWR in those areas. But no, Steve, his game his game management needs to be better. He needs to call he needs to call better timeouts. His rotations will become a lot easier because you'll have three superstars that he could interchange with the with the second units he'll be able to have at least one of those guys on the floor at all times but he absolutely needs to learn how to use those timeouts and it's a very simple thing i understand that you know him as a point guard uh he probably doesn't want to disrupt the flow or you know whatever it might be but no he has to understand that you know kevin durant is playing 35 36 minutes and and james harden too and, and kd especially coming off a major surgery he he needs that rest he he needs that timeout and just Obviously, managing a team and managing a moment, the momentum of a game, you need to know when to when to call a timeout to, to alter the opposing team going on a run. So, you know, I, I don't want to kill them too much too early. You know, they're, they're playing good basketball right now. His job has come become a lot easier with these guys, James Harden coming in. But my biggest beef with him is that he, he just has to learn how to call a timeout at the right time. I don't know argument from me. So last one, Anthony. Prediction time. Do you think Marks gets it done, balances the roster, and gets this team where it needs to be to get out of the East? And you know who do you think will be their opponent, the toughest foe? I think he gets it done. I think he's already done basically enough. I, look, there are unresolved issues as we mentioned, but I think he does. I think he's done enough, and he will fill in those blanks to get this team out of the Eastern Conference. I. I Simply do not believe there is anybody in this conference that can stop them. But I think it's it's going to be them and the Lakers. I'm 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 juggling back and forth between the Clippers, but Steve, I think we're going to see KD versus LeBron championship, and 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 that's going to be the storyline of the NBA the whole year. And in the East, you don't you who's 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 in the finals with them? I, I think the Bucks. I, I think the Milwaukee Bucks even, match up the best against them, even without a guy who can take over a game like. You know, down the stretch. Um, you know, it, I, I was between the Bucks and the Celtics. I think the Celtics, uh, uh, even the Sixers too. They're they're a really tough team, and they're they're very well coached. But I just don't think any of these guys can match up with them. I mean, you know, the Celtics they have Tatum, they have Kemba, they have Jalen Brown, and they've they've gelled very well. But I still I can't see them taking on the Nets. Where, you know, the Bucks, I, I see a guy like Drew Holiday probably the best guard defender in the NBA. He can match up well against Harden or, or Kyrie. Uh, Chris Middleton, obviously, he gets a second man. He gets a second man de- defensive assignment. And then, of course, Giannis and, and KD. I think I think that's 
that's what you're going to see in the Eastern Conference Finals, Nets and Bucks. But again, I've been wrong before, and Bad. probably won't be the last time. So, <laughs> Look, I picked Philly based on the fact that I thought uh, they would be the ones to end up getting Harden because they had the most to offer. You know, if you're giving up Ben Simmons and some young players, and you can give in a few picks too, you know, I just didn't count on Houston uh, evidently not wanting to deal with Daryl Morey. So but, yeah, yeah, yeah well, you're not far from it, Steve. That's that's. That's the rumblings. Yeah. Well, Anthony Puccio of the association.com. Thank you so much again for giving me your time. You know how much I really miss you and all the members of the Nets media, you know, me sitting here at home while this team is soaring to new heights. <laughs> Unreal. So well, anyway, thank you, Anthony. I, I really hope to see you soon. Steve, I, I share the same sentiments, miss you and everybody else. And again, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Again, a huge thank you to Anthony Puccio, the one-time writer for NetsDaily.com, who's now creating his own content for TheAssociation.com. And for those of you who want to get his daily newsletter, just go to that site and give him your email. It's that simple. So speaking of mail, it's past time for me to do a listener mailbag segment where you listeners send me your questions on Twitter. So let's get right at it. Starting with the very loyal listener, Corey Cantor of at CBC 727, who had a couple of questions for me. The first was on who the Nets should shoot for in terms of solving their rebounding woes, maybe with guys who will be bought out. Well, Corey, I kind of touched on that with Anthony Puccio a moment ago, but there's really no way of knowing who will become available around the deadline. I mean, even the Knicks are looking frisky right now. And you look at some of the teams with lousy records, guys who might be buyout candidates. I mean, if the Wizards let him go, does Robin Lopez excite you? Alex Len was just dropped by Toronto, and you know I don't see Sean Marks rushing to get him either. So I think Marks will be very patient with his three open roster slots. Maybe wait to see what Nick Claxton can bring whenever he gets back from his injury. And as for your other question, the thing that surprised me the most about Harden's first two games, you know, I'm going to go with a quicker pace than I expected. And Like I said before, the NBA.com tracking says he's taking nearly half his shots after taking seven or more dribbles. But you know, to me, he seems to be going early. I don't know how else to describe it not holding it and dribbling in place so much. Even when he undressed the guy on the Bucks, it wasn't like he ran the shot clock down 10 to 15 seconds, which is something I saw him do in Houston quite often. But thank you for your questions, Corey. Always appreciate you. Next up, I see at Rich Like Hell, who asks why the media allows Nash to get away with obvious lies, especially on issues related to Irving. Well, at Rich Like Hell, I can't speak for everyone, but I think the media in general has been doing a pretty good job with the Q&As given the circumstances. You know, we're all on these Zoom calls, so there are like scant opportunities to ask multiple questions and follow-ups, and the time is limited. And you, you should also know that they all lie. And you still think KD came here because he watched YouTube clips of Kenny Atkinson coaching? Or that he never spoke to Harden in the offseason about playing together, and then Harden all of a sudden says he wants Brooklyn? 
Nash, Marks, players, other coaches, they all lie. And I just wrote a Jets piece for WFN.com, and I mentioned how Bill Belichick never faced a terrible opponent. It's part of the business. You just hope sometimes you get some genuine truths out of someone. Anyway, thank you at Rich Like Hell. Moving on to just another guy from at Mike B-A-L-Z-N-B-A. He wants to know who should be the Nets starting five with Kyrie back. Well, my own guess for Wednesday night versus the Cavs will be Kyrie, Harden, KD, Green, and Jordan. With Harris moving to the bench like he did for a few games earlier this season. I think Cleveland will play bigger than most teams, so you are correct in that different matchups might force Nash to tweak things. Maybe swap Harris and Green, for instance. However, I don't think you'll ever see Green starting over a healthy Jordan at the 5, nor do I see Brown starting. Though, you know, as I said before, what he brings to the table is going to be needed. You know, maybe that will change when the Nets face quicker point guards next week and they don't trust Irving on those guys. But, you know, we're going to have to see. So thanks for your question, at Mike, B-A-L-Z-N-B-A. And finally, Fire Billy King is firing away with a pair of loaded questions for me. First, he asked if I think the Harden trade was planned or was it a panic move in reaction to Kyrie's absence? So, Mr. Fire Billy King, I don't mean to be too wishy-washy here, but it's probably a little of both. You know, you just heard from Anthony Puccio that this deal was floating around for months, and there were other reports that the Rockets were using the Sixers to get Marx's best offer. So, I think Kyrie's absence may have been the final nudge towards upping an offer. I'm sorry, you know, but I don't know any of this for sure. But, you know, I believe the Nets were always going to be all in for Harden, even if Kyrie was around. And as for your other question as to which statement is more valid as it pertains to KD, Kyrie, and Harden, big three, or there is only one ball, I'm going to go with the big three and I'll tell you why. These guys obviously know that they're going to have to share the credit, and they still all signed up for it. You know, Harden talked about how he and KD aren't young anymore, they're men. You know, what's important to them now is playing together and winning. Do I think there's potential for adversity if they don't win? Absolutely. freaking You can say that about almost any team. You know, they point fingers at each other or someone else like a coach. But in the end, I think this team will be mostly taking cues from Durant. And this guy's a basketball junkie and wants to win more than anything else. And he's that well-respected. So thank you, Mr. Fire Billy King, and all of you fine folks who submitted questions to me on Twitter. As always, I appreciate your support and can't wait till the next one. But for now, that'll wrap up this episode of the City Game Podcast. Thanks again to Anthony Puccio of the Association.com for his fantastic special guest spot. I'll be back to talk more Nets basketball sometime next week. So in the meantime, please let me know how I'm doing by subscribing to the City Game Podcast on Radio.com, Stitcher, and yes, Apple Podcasts. Please also feel free to post some nice comments on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.